can you lift up your voice one more time and begin to give God praise? Hallelujah. Oh, come on. Why don't you give him a first class praise and worship, the best one that you've given him all night. Is he worthy of your praise tonight? Has he done anything good for you tonight? Are you thankful for the Holy Ghost tonight? Are you thankful for his power? Are you thankful for his mercy that is so rich? Are you thankful for the presence that we feel in this place? Hallelujah, I'm thankful to be in the house of God. There is no better place that I would rather be. There is no better place. We have a saying in Rosarito, um, when we have guests and visitors, uh, there is a saying. I don't know if I made it up my own or my own, but I think I probably stole it from somebody smarter than me. But when you come to the house of God for the first time, you're a guest. You're my guest. But when you come multiple times, you come more than once, we say that you are a part of the family. And so tonight, why don't we just have some church like we're one big family? What do you say? It doesn't matter who's standing next to you. It doesn't matter where they come from, but let's just have a move of the Holy Ghost as one big part of the family. Welcome to the family tonight. This is the place where God does miraculous things. If you've come needing something in your body, you've come to the right place because this is the place that God is able to work on our behalf, that we are able to receive of him miracles, signs, and wonders that we couldn't do on our own, but it's only through the power of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah, why don't you put your hands together? Amen, amen. Recently, on a Sunday morning, my wife and I were, were out of town and we had somebody preaching for us. Brother Casey Sees, who is from Sacramento, California, he was preaching while we were out of town at a wedding. Uh, and I mentioned it this morning, but three individuals received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and we give God glory for that. Um, amen. But I began to talk with, with my wife. First of all, I think we may need to go out of town more often because when we leave, people just get the Holy Ghost. Amen. But this morning at about 10.07, uh, I forgot my phone at the house, and so I sent uh, or I told my wife to send a, a message to the young man that is interning with us, Brother Colby Scott. Uh, he's with us for the summer. Just wanted to ask, you know, how things are going. Are there any new guests in the house? Uh, and he told me that uh, two people were there. So that, you know, makes your heart drop a little bit because here he is. He's been fasting and praying, believing that God's going to work, and only two people showed up. They all ended up coming. They were just a little bit late. Uh, but our translator was sick this morning, and so Brother Colby had to operate outside of his realm of his comfort zone and, and had to use uh, another lady in our church to translate for him. Uh, but we had three new guests in the house this morning that they've never been to the house of God. They've never been to this particular church, and they were excited that there is a church in the city of Rosarito, and I'm thankful for that, that even when we're not there, even when we're not able to be there, there is still something that begins to happen when the Word of God is preached. There is still power in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. So, as a little squirrel moment, but 
We had three get the Holy Ghost, and I began to ask them. Bible study the next week, I, I said, I, I want to know what does it feel like? Because, you know, I've had the Holy Ghost for a while. Maybe it's a little bit different for them than it is for me. I know what it feels like, but I wanted to know from them, what, is it, what does it feel like? So I asked one of the ladies, her name is Alicia, and she, she had a hard time conjuring up the, the words to adequately describe it, but she began to, to tell us that it was like something hot. She said, it, it just began to, to come up all over my body, and I don't, I don't really know what began to happen, but it was like this heater was just on the inside of my heart, and I began to say things that, that I don't ever know, that I, I don't even know those words, and I began to talk in tongues in a heavenly language, and I began to speak in tongues as God gave the utterance. Hey, it doesn't matter if you're in Mexico. It doesn't matter if you're here tonight. If you need the Holy Ghost, God is in this place. He is able to give you the promise because it is unto you, it is to your children, and it is to all that are afar off. It's not just for a special group of people. It's not just for me. It's not just for a preacher, but it is for everybody that is willing to lift up their hands and willing to lift up their voice and say, God, I love you with all of my heart, and I want to have your spirit deep down inside of me. Hallelujah. Unfortunately, I can't remember what the other two said, but it was something along the same lines, and so it was really powerful. Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight and would care to turn with us, the book of Exodus chapter number 2, verse number 1. I'm so thankful to be home, to be able to preach to my home church. I'm thankful to hear my wife sing in English. I hear her sing in Spanish quite frequently, but making sure she remembers English. Amen. Glory to God. I'm thankful for her. If you've got your Bibles, Exodus chapter number 2, verse number 1, if you have it, say amen. And there went a man of the house of Levi, and he took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. When she could not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes, she daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. She laid it in the flags by the river's bank, brink. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child and behold, the babe wept, and she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. This is a very famous passage of Scripture. Uh, no doubt we could all tell the story of Moses and where he comes from and the miraculous uh, things that began to happen to him from the very beginning of his life. It seemed as if he was destined for greatness. The miracles that began to, to take place and the things that began to happen, the people that were connected to him. He was a destined child to do things for the kingdom of God beyond maybe what he even was able to comprehend. But God had a special plan for him. And I want to preach from this subject just briefly this evening. Put it in the basket. Put it in the basket. If you would, lay your Bibles down and lift your hands and begin to pray with me. 
why don't you just begin to pray that God would speak to us today. God, I pray that you would have your way in this service tonight. I pray that your miraculous work would be felt, that we would be able to receive something from you, that your power and your ability, God, would be felt. We ask that you would step into this place and speak unto us. We pray all of these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Moving to a place where you're unfamiliar with the language makes it a little bit challenging to preach maybe the way that you want to preach. Uh, and I think in some ways it's actually a, a good thing because it simplifies things down to where you're not trying to create something out of nothing, which I think maybe we can uh, be, can be one of our flaws, searching for something that it was really not there, but we're looking for a key point or key piece that we want to make something out of. And so as I've begun to study the Word and as I've begun to look at Scripture, I began to just go back on the stories that maybe I feel like I have a good handle on, things that I've been taught from, from the very earliest of ages that uh, maybe I feel like I know everything there is to know about them, but truly I, I don't know everything there is to know. There are always stories in Scripture, stories that we've heard from Sunday school. There's little things that you can pull out, little uh, nuggets of information that are different every time that you read it. And so I've taken to studying these stories over and over again as I begin to reflect on stories in Scripture, because I feel like I know the Word of God, but when you're teaching a Bible study and you're preaching to someone that has no idea who Joseph is, it makes it a whole lot more challenging to Try to connect different pieces. When they ask you, sitting in a Bible study, what's the difference between my soul and my body? You've got to explain the difference between your spirit and your physical body. That makes you do some, some introspective thinking. You've got to really think about what you're doing because you can't just assume that everybody knows what you're talking about. We can't just begin to say, you know, you all know the story, and so I won't get into the details. But in fact... There aren't very many people, aside from those in this place, that, that have been raised in this that can say, I know the details to the story. And even then, there are some things that are not clear to us because there's these little nuggets of information. As I was beginning to, to read Exodus again and read the, the account of Moses, I began to understand the story of Moses, understand what was happening. And there are some things and motifs and, and things that are present in this story that you can take a myriad of different ways. If I was to give this particular text scripture to each of the men on the platform, we would probably have 10, 15 different messages because there are so many different ways that you can take apart and pick apart a verse of scripture. But the Bible says that in this time, that there were a group of people called the children of Israel. They were coming out of Genesis, a place that they were accustomed to being. They were a family. They were a group of tribes and a group of people that began to travel together. It says that these children of Israel moved to a place called Egypt. They were about 70 people in total. The Bible says that Joseph had passed away and they were moving. They had taken the bones and they took them to a different place because this was a new time and a new season. The patriarch was gone. But the Bible says that the people waxed exceeding mighty that they began to grow and they began to develop strength in numbers. There arose a, a new king 
The Bible tells us very specifically that this king knew not Joseph, which basically lets us know that the things that guarded the children of Israel because of Joseph probably were not going to be the case any longer because this new king, this new pharaoh, did not know who Joseph was. He was afraid at the sight of the Israelites. He looked at them. They were great in number, and they had something so powerful that was their faith in their God. They believed that no matter what happened, if they just believed in God, then he would be able to bring them out of whatever situation because of how many times he had done it in Genesis. The land was full of them, the Bible says, that they began to multiply. But because of their fear, the Egyptians' fear, the Bible said that they placed over them taskmasters. They made them slaves in this new land. But they had to do so very wisely. They had to really consider and think about what they were doing because of the sheer size of the children of Israel. If they were to do anything too quickly, children of Israel may have, have left them and joined an enemy and fought against them. And so they were very cunning and very wise at how they would be able to make the children of Israel strength or lose their strength and how they would be able to remove some of the things that gave them their might and their strength. Bible says that they began to force the Israelites to build cities for the Pharaoh, supply cities. But more than that, they began to be slaves to the king. They were slaves to the Pharaoh. They began to be placed with rigor and with hard work, and they were forced to work long and hard hours. But the Bible says the more and more they were afflicted, the more and more they multiplied and they grew. And this sounds a lot like you and I today in the house of God, that no matter what comes against this church, no matter what comes against this place, no matter what kind of oppression comes into this house, the church will always have its strength. Because as long as there are people that recognize that they must have faith in their God, there will always be a church that contains power. And you cannot take that away because God is the one that supplies the power. And if we just begin to trust and believe that God will continue to do what he has always done, the church is not going to have any problems. This is why even amongst great change, I heard it said a couple of months ago, I know we talk about COVID-19 as if it was two or three years ago, and quite frankly, I think all of us are tired of it. And so I heard it mentioned that it's cuss word 19. And so through cuss word 19, we can understand that it doesn't matter what comes against the church. If you have church standing on a camcorder trying to, to view pastor from this small little screen and all you can see is chesting up and he's preaching his guts out to an empty building, it seems really strange and really bizarre. But it doesn't matter what the circumstances are because so long as there is a church, the church will always continue to grow. As long as there are people that believe and trust in God, there will always be a multiplication of people that say, you know what, I've got to be in the house of God because there is a power there and there is a strength there. And this is where we get our strength. This is where we get our power. It's not from the things that we do. It's not from the job that we work. But we get our strength in the house of God. We get the, our, our being and our purpose. We get it here in the presence of God. It is here that we are able to see where we get our power. The house of God will never suffer because so long as there is a church and there are people in the church, the church will always continue. If you look in Scripture, 
the church has always been able to work through persecution and suffering. The Egyptians were grieved at the fruitfulness of the Israelites so much that it says that they loathed the sight of them. And I can't imagine being so disgusted at somebody that I loathe the very sight of them. But it says that they were so grieved in their spirit because no matter how hard they tried to put their thumb down upon them, they just began to grow. That even amongst the pressure and even amongst the things that they thought they would never be able to do, even amongst the hard work and the labor that they were forcing upon them, they began to grow and multiply. And this was not how it was supposed to happen. This was not how it was supposed to be. And so Pharaoh, he orders the death of all of the Hebrew sons in an attempt to weaken Israel, in an attempt to, to remove the strength of who they were. Removing the sons would significantly, dramatically remove the power that Israel would have because they understood that if we have strong men and if we raise our men from a youth and we teach them about the things of God and we teach them about war and how we are supposed to fight, there is strength in that. And if we can just remove the power of a son, then we can weaken Israel. We can remove the sons and, and dramatically reduce their capability. Satan recognized that the Messiah, who is the seed of a woman, you and I, and the one that would eventually bruise the head of Satan himself, would come from the children of Israel. And the only way to eliminate that threat is if I am going to eliminate the children of Israel as a whole. If I try to eliminate the threat of a Messiah, the only way that I can do it is if I have absolute genocide against the Israelites. We understand that that plan was severely under unsuccessful. We understand that, that this was not the case and this did not happen because you and I are here today. But the Bible prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6 that unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. There will always be a fight against the enemy. There will always be a fight against the church because it is the seed of, of Satan and it is the seed of a woman. He will always try to come against us and always try to fight against us because it is his goal for the destruction of the people of God. Whatever he has to do to remove us from the presence of God, he's going to try every possible way that he's going to do it. He's going to try to do everything that he can but Satan will not be victorious because we serve a God that is capable. We serve a God that is able. And we serve a God that has got his hand upon us that we are able to stand in the face of the enemy and square our shoulders, Brother, da Brother Brian, and say, you know what, I'm going to stand. Stand, therefore, having my loins girt about with the breastplate of righteousness and the word of God. He has always tried to come against the church, but so long as there is a church... We see to it that the enemy will not win this particular battle. We see that we've got to protect this place more than we've ever protected it before because the seed of Satan cannot come into this place. We've got to be victorious. The midwives in this account of Exodus chapter number 1 feared God. There was a decree that all of the Hebrew boys were going to be sentenced to death, and they feared God. They said that the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They're different. 
they refused and they saved the men, children alive, the Bible says. And even the more, the Bible tells us that the people multiplied and they waxed even greater because when the stress and the pressure came against them, they didn't cower at the thought of just hiding under the pressure and bowing under the weight. But what they began to do is stand firmly before the enemy and say, you're not going to have the land that God has given unto us. You're not going to take this land that God has specifically given unto us. We are willing to die upon this land. We're willing to fight upon this land because God has our back. They grew. They waxed great. But they were foreigners. We've got to understand that up to this point, Israel was just a people. They were not a nation. They had no identity. They were not like you and I that we can say we're the, the people of God. We're First Pentecostal Church. We believe this and this. They were just a family of tribes. They were a people who did not have an identity. They were foreigners in a land that was so common to them. They had no identity, but they were this growing group of people that understood the importance of having faith in God. They had to hide the boys for fear that they would be put to death, and they had to put their faith in God. The book of Exodus is a story of redemption. He shows his miraculous display of supernatural power throughout the book. Israel hope, Israel's hope rested in the provision that God would provide unto them a deliverer. They believed that at some point, they hoped that someday God would give unto us a deliverer. Because Joseph has passed away, and we don't have anybody that can lead us appropriately. And we've got to have somebody that can stand upon us and give us leadership. The Bible says there came a man by the name of Moses. He was a goodly child, but he was hid for three months. His mother even obeyed the orders of the king. In Exodus chapter 1, verse number 22, the Bible says, Pharaoh charged all of his people, saying, Every son that is born ye shall cast into the river. It got so sick and so disgusting that the Pharaoh said, even if you are an Egyptian, Hebrew and Egyptian, both ought to be cast into the river. doesn't matter where you come from. Every son must die. So this mother, I find it ironic that she obeys the Pharaoh. She creates an ark. She creates a basket. The Bible tells us it's of bulrushes. And she, she begins to, to make it with mud and with slime and she puts Moses in the basket. And just like the king commanded, she put Moses into the river. She obeyed the king, but she had her own way of obeying. She understood that if, if I'm going to do this, if, if this is who you are telling me this son is and he's a goodly child, that I've got to preserve this son. I've got to preserve him and I've got to believe that God is going to provide the victory for me. So she trusted God, and the deliverer that Israel needed is floating at the mercy of nature. He's in the river, and his destiny is completely in the hands of God. And I can only imagine what that must have felt like as a mother looking at her son in the river, knowing that this is not how everything is supposed to happen. This is not how things are supposed to be. But just when it begins to look like there's going to be a tragedy for the children of Israel, and for her son named Moses. The Bible says that God steps onto the scene and he begins to provide. 
Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 8, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but we are not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are cast down, but we are not destroyed. We, as the people of God, have to put our trust in God and believe. There are things that are going to come against this church. There are things that are going to come against me personally, that are going to come against my family. But if I am willing to stand tall and I put my faith in God, he will come through for you. He will step onto the scene as if it never was to happen. He will be able to right every wrong, and he will be able to provide you with the victory because he's an on-time God. He may not come when you want him. He may not come when I want him, but he's always right on time, and he steps onto the scene and creates situations where there was no possible way because with you and I, it is impossible, but with the things of God, all things are possible. Hallelujah. If you believe that, why don't you put your hands together and give God praise tonight. Hallelujah. If you've got needs tonight, there is a God that is able to work in every situation. He can work in your situation and in your life because he's an on-time God. He is a God that hears the cry of his people just as if it looks like it's going to be a problem. Moses was not just any other man, but he was the deliverer. He had a job to do. He was a man that was destined for greatness from the very beginning of time. But it was without a willingness. This would have never happened because his mother had to release him into the river. The birth of Israel as a nation would have never happened had a mama not been sensitive and understood this is what I've got to do. I don't want to do it, but it's something that I've got to do. It's something that I have to do in order for my people to get to where they're supposed to be. Because if I hold on to him, there's a possibility that the Pharaoh can come into my house. And not only is my son killed, but all of my family is killed with it. That is not the way that the things of God should be. But she was forced to put him into the river. And this is the point tonight. We can't be so stuck in holding on to things that we do not give them unto God. We can't get so stuck looking at situations and circumstances and feeling as if we've got to hold on to everything because it's not within our control. And if it's not in my control, then I'm not going to do anything. But if we're really going to step into the place that God is going to call us to be, we're going to have to put some things into the basket and we're going to have to put it into the river and believe, God, you're going to have to do what you do best because I'm, I don't know what to do at this point. All I've got is a little baby Moses and he looks so cute and he's so pretty, but I can't keep him in my house because if the Pharaoh comes by, he may kill me and all of my family. We've got to be willing to put Moses into the basket and begin to say, God, I don't know what you're going to do, but I want you to use him for your kingdom. He's at your hand and he's at your mercy because I know that you are a faithful God and I know that you hear the cries of your people and I know that you hear everything that I am speaking unto you, but you've got to get to a place in your life where you say, you know what? It's not worth holding on to this. I've got to get rid of it. I've got to place it in the hands of God. It doesn't matter if it's sin. It doesn't matter if it's a bad diagnosis. If it doesn't matter if it's depression, if it's holding 
holding you back from the things of God, that very thing that is holding you back has to go into the basket. You've got to place it in there and say, God, you're going to take this thing. I don't know what to do with it. I've got a bad diagnosis, and I don't think I'm ever going to make it out alive. But God, I believe that you are a God that hears the cry of your people, and you understand that if I put him in the basket, that you are going to deliver us. The very thing that you are holding could be the very thing that delivers you. Hallelujah. The very thing that we hold on to very well may be the thing that ends up killing us. We hold it so close to our hearts. We hold it right here because we don't want to get rid of it. Because it becomes such a character, becomes a part of our character. It's like the blind man in his clothes. There is a powerful thing when he casts casts out or takes off his beggarly garments. It became so ingrained into the character of the blind man that when he removed his garments, he was declaring, God, you're going to have to take this situation because I can't do it on my own. But we begin to to wrestle with this because it's this feeling that, that we've got to hold it close within us and we've got to keep it close to our hearts because nobody can hear about it. And nobody can, can know that, that this is happening because it's going to be embarrassing. And it's going to be a failure based upon everybody else. But who cares what everybody else thinks if it's holding you back from the things of God? Just give it unto God and let God work with the failure. Let God work with the consequences. Because if you do that, God will give you such great blessing. It may not look like it in the moment. And it may not look like it in that decision. But if you just begin to believe, you can look back a couple years from now and say, that Moses, the very same boy that I placed into the river, the very same man that I put into the basket, he's the very deliverer that brings the children of Israel out of bondage into the promised land. The very thing that you may be holding on to could be the very thing that puts you into the promised land. You're holding on to it and you're trying to keep it contained. You're trying to keep it within your own grasp. But if you just give it to God, there's no telling what could happen in this place. There's no telling the revival that can begin to break forth because if you just give it to God and believe to say, God, you're going to have to take this. I'm putting it in the basket. I can't do it by myself, but I've got to have you. I wonder if there's anybody that would just lift up their hands and begin to shout and begin to cry out unto God and say, God, you've got to take this from me. I can't do it by myself, but I'm going to put it in the basket. I'm going to place it into the river and I'm trusting that you're going to take it. got to be willing to place it into the river. You got to be willing to say, you know what, this is going to hurt. It's going to cause me some pain. This is going to cause me some turmoil. And I may be standing next to the river, waiting and looking to see what's going to happen. What's going to happen to him? Is he going to float away and, and I never see him again? Or Is somebody going to come and and take him? We're standing and waiting, looking at what could potentially happen. We're paralyzed by the decision. Because if we hesitate, it may be too late. And Pharaoh and his army may step in and ask for an account for the household. He begins to look around and say, I don't see this. I've never seen this boy before. I've never seen this man-child that you've got in your house 
this is not the way that it was supposed to be. And we're going to have to kill you. Not only that, we may have to kill your family. You've got to be willing to place it into the hands of God. Into the river. Into the basket, the ark. and Give it unto God. That's a hard thing to do. Because many times the decision alone is what paralyzes us. We become so frustrated at the decision that we would rather just cope with it. And we would rather allow it to become a part of our character instead of really dealing with the situation and giving it to God. But we've got to give it unto Him. We've got to be willing. There is a story in Genesis. It goes something like this. Fire and brimstone rains down from the heavens upon Sodom and Gomorrah. God's commandment to destroy this wicked city, these wicked cities. And it displaces a family. It displaces a group of people. The, matri the patriarch's name is Lot. We find in this story that God commands them to run. He tells them, you need to, you need to get out of here because I am destroying this city. And there is this hesitation on Lot's part. He's got his family together. He's got his in-laws and his kids. But there's something in his spirit that is causing him to hesitate. And instead of just going and doing what God has asked, there is a hesitation. Because he's unwilling to put it into the basket. He's unwilling to believe that if I just do what God has asked me to do, then it's going to be okay. God commanded, flee the city. Take your family and get out of here. Get out of the area. Don't even stay in the plains. Go up into the mountains. You don't even need to be close. Do not turn your back lest ye be consumed. Now out of disobedience, we read that Lot's wife turns around and gazes upon the city. And in that moment, she is turned into a pillar of salt because she refused to just put it in the basket. She refused to understand the concept that I've got to place this into the river and allow God to take it. It's at the mercy of the hands of God. Samson refused to let go of some things. Samson was a man that, that was a special individual. He was a man that was supposed to be a deliverer. He was a judge in a great line of judges. But there are some things that he refused to get rid of. Some things that he didn't put in the basket that ended up costing him his life. And if we're not careful, we'll get caught holding the very thing close to us. And it ends up being the very thing that kills us because we're unwilling to place it into the basket. We're unwilling to recognize that if I do not get rid of this, if I do not place this into the river, if I do not just give this to God and believe that he is going to provide the increase and the victory, that I may die with it. Samson is a shell of the man that he was supposed to be. He's grinding a mill, going in circles with no vision because he was holding on to some things that he thought were very important. But when you look back and you say, you know what? Those things weren't very important to me because they cost me some things. They cost me my eyes and they cost me my life. And even though Jochebed, Moses' mother, is forced with this terrible decision. No mother should have to face this type of decision. 
But she understood that I've got to place Moses into the basket. I've got to be willing to give him unto God so that he can use them. Mom and dad, don't be afraid to give your kids into the kingdom of God. Don't be afraid to send your kids to youth service and on youth trips because of the fear that maybe what, may, what may happen to them. But if you just send them into the presence of God and you say, you know what, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to put you into the basket and I'm going to place you into the river and I'm going to believe that God is going to have a miraculous work in your life. It's a decision that you and I don't want to make. And a decision that unfortunately is not fun for any of us. But we've got to understand that if we don't let go, the repercussions may be greater than if we do let go. If we hold on to those things, whatever they may be, you can fill in the blank. Because your things may be different than my things. Your Moses may not be the same as my Moses. But we've got to be willing to put Moses into the river and say, God, I'm going to give it to you. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm believing that your promises are yea and they are amen. I'm believing, God, that you are able to provide me with the victory, even when it doesn't seem like there's victory around. It's a place of victory, the valley of decision, where we're forced with a decision on our own. Psalm chapter 52, verse 55, verse number 22 says, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. I can only imagine the faith of Moses' mother. Maybe she didn't think it was faith in the moment. Maybe it was just something that she had to do and she, she did it out of necessity. But she had some faith to believe that if I just put Moses into the river and I place him in the mercy in the hands of God, that he's going to be the man that God has called him to be. He's going to be the deliverer that God has called him to be. Don't tell me that God doesn't know what he's doing. Because God always seems to have a plan working behind the scenes that when you and I seem like or when you and I think that, that all hell is breaking loose and, and everything is coming against us at one time and we don't understand what's happening, it may, very well may be a Moses moment where we're forced with a decision and it takes us from point A to point B where we step into a new place of dimension and a new place of worship in God because he is taking us to a new place. But in order to get to that new place, we've got to put it in the basket. God performs a miraculous, supernatural power. Moses delivered the people out of bondage, brought them into the promised land. He became the leader that God had called him to be. Maybe the basket is, is different for you. But whatever Moses is, and whatever the basket is to you, if you just put your faith in God and you believe that he is able to take every need, he is able to take every situation, he is able to take every single thing, and he will help you because he is an on-time God and he is a God that has power. We preached about it this morning, but it is the power of the blood that when we put it in the hands of God, the blood goes to work and it works on our behalf beyond what we are able, even capable of doing because with you and I, we don't have anything to 
offer. We are but rags and breath. But if we put it in the hands of God, there is a supernatural power that begins to take place. That all of a sudden, this little basket that is bobbing in the river makes its way to the, the daughter of a pharaoh who takes him into the king's courts and gives him everything that he could have deserved. He would have never been the deliverer that he was called to be had he been hid under a bushel and hid under the place that, that Jochebed had for him. But if we want to have the life that Moses lived, and if we want to have the delivery and the deliverance that the children of Israel had, we've got to be willing to put some things into the river. I know I'm beating a dead bush, but I really want you to understand, if it's sin, you need to cast it into the river. If it's a bad report from the doctor, and you just got back and it says, you know what, you've got cancer, and all of these things are wrong with you, you're not going to live for very much longer. You just put that in the river. You put it in the basket and allow God to begin to work on your behalf. If it's depression, you just begin to believe that God is going to take this from me. If it's anxiety, if it's suicidal thoughts, you just keep coming to church and you keep putting it in the river. You keep putting it in the basket and believing, God, you've got to take this from me because I can't do it on my own. You've got to take it by your mercy. There's a power in that decision. I'm reminded of Jesus who's teaching the multitude. He asks for food because every Bible study needs food. I'm learning that in Mexico. You don't have study of the word if you don't have food. Just not quite as powerful because when you know that there's some good food afterward, Usually, Bible study is a little bit shorter. But when you know there's good food afterward, there's a motivation, and you understand, man, if this Bible study goes terrible, at least there's some tacos afterward. So it makes everything a little bit better. So Jesus is teaching. He's teaching a parable. And he says, give unto them the food. And the disciples say, Jesus, this is a, a big problem because we don't have any food. And what a tragedy that this story is, that there is no food at Bible study. This would not survive in Mexico, I will tell you that. Because if people aren't coming to Bible study, they will come for food. So we ask them, bring them the food. They say, we don't have any food, but there's this little boy. He's got these five loaves, and he's got two fishes. And Jesus takes it, and he multiplies it. And all of a sudden, five loaves and two fishes feeds multiple thousands of people. And when they account afterward, the Bible says that there are 12 baskets full. 12 baskets full of food after they just divided five loaves and two fishes among all of these different people. And that is a concept that you and I are understanding tonight that when we put the basket or we put whatever it is in the basket and we give it unto God, anything that God returns unto us is always greater than when, when, what we put into the basket. Because when Moses went into the basket, he was just a child. But when he was taken by Pharaoh's daughter, he was now a son of the heir of the king. He was now not just Moses 
the little Hebrew boy, but he is a man that has power and prestige. And just like the baskets that went out unto the people, those baskets return more than they ever had in their lives. But that's the same for you and I. If we just put it into the basket and we place it into the river, whatever comes back to us is always going to be greater than what we put into the basket. And so if we get this understanding that if we just give it unto God and we just trust him, everything that comes back to us is going to be greater. Everything that comes back to us is going to be mightier. Everything that comes back to us is going to be blessing from him. Because the basket always returns full. The basket never comes back empty when you give it unto God. Because God always delivers. God always brings forth the fruit. If you've got to trust God, you're going to put it into the basket. Musicians, you can come. He's not going to just give you a basket that's empty. If you put pain into the basket, he's not going to return you pain. If you put hurt into the basket, it's not going to come back as hurt. But it's going to come back in the form of joy. And it's going to come back in the form of peace. Because he's a God that is able to take hurt and pain. And he is a restorer of the joy of our salvation. But all we've got to do, the thing that we've got to do, the decision that we have to make is we've got to be willing to say, I'm going to put it into that river. I'm going to put it into the basket and just allow God to take control of whatever it is. I want us all to stand tonight. I want you to begin to think of your Moses. Maybe this is really elementary, and I thought this was real complex. But I want you to think of the Moses that's in your life. The thing that you hold so close to your heart that if you were to release it and expose it, it would be embarrassing. If you were to say what's really going on when somebody asks you, how are you doing? They might think that you're lesser of a person because you're holding on to this thing that's so tight. You're holding on to it, not really recognizing that it is killing you. You've got to be, under, you've got to be willing to understand that you've got to release that. You've got to put it in the basket and you've got to send it on down the river not really knowing if it's ever going to come back because Moses may never return. And that's the frank reality of this decision. But if you just begin to trust God and you begin to believe, God, I'm giving you everything tonight. I'm not holding anything back. I'm not concealing it any longer but I'm going to give it unto you. And I'm going to believe that whatever you return unto me is going to be greater than what I gave you. I want you to begin to think of that. What is the Moses to you? Is it sin? If it's sin, you need to get rid of it. You've got to put it in the basket and you've got to give it to God. Because if you're not careful, you'll die with that sin. And it'll be too late before you ever make the decision. Maybe it's your marriage. Things may be falling apart. Things may not be the same way that they were 
long before. But you've got to be willing to say, God, I'm going to put it in the basket. And I'm going to put it into the river. I don't know what's going to happen. And I don't know how I'm going to get it back. I don't know what's going to be returned to me. But I pray that the pain that I put into the basket is not the pain that comes back to me. I'm sending it down the river, believing that you're going to take this from me. Because I've got to have a deliverance in my life. I've got to have a Moses that comes back to me and says, you are the person that God has called you to be and you are now the leader of the children of Israel. You're the very man that is going to lead your people out of bondage. But God, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm capable. I can't do it. I don't have the words to speak. Moses, you've got to put it in the basket. You've got to believe that God is going to take it and he's going to multiply the gifts that you have. Just like he did for the children of Israel, he's going to multiply the gifts that you have. He's going to multiply the things that you've got currently that you don't know what's going to happen with them. And you're slowly being eaten away and rotting because you're holding on to something that, that it belongs in the basket, belongs in the river. You're never supposed to be holding on to it anyway but it's supposed to be in the hands of God. I want us all to lift up our hands tonight. If you feel this tonight, these altars are open. I encourage you to come down to these altars and put some things into the basket because if you're ever to have a deliverance, you're gonna have to put the deliverer into the basket first. And you're gonna have to believe that God, you've got to take this from me. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm putting it in your hands. I'm believing that you are going to return it unto me with blessing and with peace and with joy. You've got to be willing to put it into the basket tonight. I wonder if you would step out of your pew where you are. I wonder if you would come down to this front and begin to pray and begin to put some things into the basket. Begin to touch the throne of God touch the throne of grace and say God I need you to work in my life I can't do it on my own but I've got to have you God I've got to put it into the basket I've got to put it in your hands and believe that you are able come on somebody lift up your voice lift up your hands if you have need tonight this is a perfect opportunity don't be embarrassed don't be discouraged because this is the time this is your opportunity to step into the river and say, God, I'm putting this into this river. I'm putting it into the basket. I'm giving it unto you, God. Hallelujah, with uplifted hands, can you lift up your voice? Can you lift up your hands without doubting, without fear of what sounds like, without the fear of what's going on? Can you just believe that God is going to help you? Can you just believe that God is going to give you the strength? Hallelujah, saint of God, would you help me? Would you just begin to lift up your voice? If this message is not for you, find somebody to pray with and that you know is putting some things into the basket tonight. Find somebody that you know needs your help. Find somebody that needs a prayer warrior. Hallelujah, I Jesus.
Hallelujah. We serve an able God tonight. All you've got to do is lift up your hands and lift up your voice and surrender unto the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And if you're willing to do that, God is able to see right where you are and he's able to provide you with the victory tonight.